0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to the book of John chapter 19. John chapter 19. If you need a Bible, you can put it in your lap. There's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to grab one. If you are a user of the Bible app, you can open up the app and find our live event, track along uh, with all of that uh, right there. Uh, some of you have been studying John uh, either in our Wednesday night Bible study or in your Sunday school class. I did my best to try to get us away, but every time like I thought, oh, we could go this way, it just seemed like God was leading us back here. So I think uh, that's going to be a, a good study as we work our way through John. He writes his gospel so that we would believe. And uh, for us, as we work our way through, that's going to be kind of be the thing. Um, Specifically, because it's through that belief that we uh, get to experience life. In the Bible, uh, there's two words uh, that, uh, that are used for life. One is, and C.S. Lewis makes this point in his book, Mere Christianity. One is the word for uh, bios, you get biology from it. And it's that kind of like physical um, shape, stature, um, existence, uh, function uh, that's ha- that happens here. But then there's another kind of life and it's called zoe. And that kind of life, Zoe, is a a different kind of expression. It is what is in God himself that is effusive outwards and creative outwards and uh, um, uh, pursuing outwards. It's that kind of life. And it's that kind of life that he is inviting us into. Not just existence. Not just existence. Not just shape. Function. But it is it is a kind of life Lewis said it this way it is if um, we are statues that have just been shaped um, by the um, by the sculptor and there's a rumor going around that some of us at one point someday will come to life that 's what we 're talking about we're talking about be- beyond this this uh, 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 existence and talking about life. That's what John is inviting us to as we believe this is the life uh, that we experience. And so I'm going to start reading in verse 1, work our way down uh, for a few verses, and then we're going to skip a whole chunk, um, read kind of the end of this section, and then come back and work our way through. That's the plan. Here we go. You ready? Verse 1, John 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. If you're not familiar who, with who Pilate is, no big deal. Catch you up on the players here. Pilate is the Roman governor uh, of the area. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, probably the uh, uh, cape that they wore um, into battle. Verse 3 They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So you get the idea like they bowed their knee, ah, King of the Jews, and then got up and punched him. Pilate went um, out again and said to them, the them is referencing um, the Jewish leaders of the day. See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate said to him, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him. We have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and asked Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar's. Um, uh, you're not Caesar's friend. For everyone who makes himself a king uh, opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Um, And so I just want to note here before we skip to the end here, um, Pilate, the politician, is trying to use Jesus to keep his peace and power. Yeah? A politician trying to use Jesus as a pawn to keep his political power and peace. I just need you to know, I am loaded for bear this morning, okay? So just be ready. Uh, But then the religious leaders of the day, uh, the Jewish folks who were kind of uh, in charge of uh, a more social standing, also tried to use Jesus to make sure that they preserved their way of life. A politician who's using him as a pawn. Religious leaders who are using him as a preservative. wish the Bible would speak to today. (laughs) He is neither pawn. He will not fit into any political system. He just won't. He is too big for that. And, and he is not a preservative. He is too robust for that. He is bringing a new kind of life, not letting you sit in your old one. That's not even the sermon. You ready? Skip down. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill the scriptures, he said this, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine, uh, vinegar is what we're kind of in that ballpark right there, um, stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch, held it to his mouth just to wet his tongue, if you will, just enough. And Jesus, having received that sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. Jesus is offering self, offering himself as the propitiation for sins. And when he speaks in verse 30, like after receiving that little taste just enough to to wet his lips, to wet his tongue, so that he could speak. He knows that it's all done. In fact, uh, in John 17, verse 4, he prayed this exact prayer um, as he's kind of getting ready to go to the cross. The night before, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, here's what he said. Father, I have glorified you by finishing, completing, putting um, at its end um, the the, the, uh, stuff that you've given me to do, the work that you have given me to do. I have glorified you, Father, by completing this task. And here, exact same word. It is finished. If you've been around church, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. It's okay. But this is a fun little thing. Um, here, here is the particular word that he uses, to tetelestai. Now, if you're a Greek nerd and you want to know what it looks like in the Greek, that's what it looks like in the bottom. For all the normal people in here... Uh, The the top word will get it done. Um, Here's what I need you to know. Um, The way that the word is phrased and the the, uh, particular version of the word, of the verb that he uses, is a past event with present or um, current consequence. So, um, I have had a wreck. Right? So, you had a wreck in the past. And the consequence is, I don't have a car to drive right now, right? Like, this is that kind of thing. Like, past event, present consequence. So, when we come to this word, to telestai, what he is saying is, it is a completion. I am done, and what I have done is something that has present consequence upon you and upon me. It is current for you and for me. And so, in light of that, in light of its present impact, the question I think that's worth asking is, what's finished? Like, what is the it? It is finished. What? What's finished? The text here gives us some pointers, and and I want to try to um, highlight those here. So, uh, as I said, we're going to kind of back up to the story where we uh, left off. Uh, uh, Pilate has just sat down on his judgment seat, verse 14. Um, Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. Passover. If you're not familiar with what Passover is, uh, Passover is a, a, a Jewish celebration. We're actually uh, starting at this coming week, a Jewish celebration uh, reminding them of what God did for them in the Exodus. Um, In the Exodus, God had brought all of this judgment upon the land of Egypt. The very last plague was the death of the firstborn. So they took a lamb and they slaughtered it and they put the blood over the doorposts so that the destroyer would know, you need to pass us over. We have put our faith in God, in the God of uh, Israel, and you need to pass us over. It was because of the blood that the judgment did not come. That's where we are. That's what they're celebrating. And when it comes to, it is finished, question, what is finished first thing that's finished is the payment for sin is finished there there is a payment that has been made jesus himself is the lamb that is slaughtered during passover to pay for sin hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 go look it up later he say, he says this by this single offering meaning we don't have to do it over and over and over and over, and over again We don't have to do it um, because Jesus has done it. By this single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What is finished? Our payment for sin um, is finished. He is the, uh, according to chapter one in John's gospel, chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist points out, there, there he is. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is our Passover lamb who pays for our sin. What does that look like? Well, the cost of our betrayal is paid for. The, the, the cost of the moments when we have turned our back and, and walked away, that is paid for. Peter understood this. Peter in the garden, uh, chapter, uh, like as things are kind of ramping up, chapter 18, Peter's all like, oh, listen, boss, here's the deal. I promise you, um, I'm going to stick with you to the very, very end. Like there is no question about any of this stuff. I'm with you all the way. Even if it means I die, they get to the garden. uh, The people come out. um, They're getting ready to arrest Jesus. Peter like it's on. He grabs his sword, goes to swing at somebody, uh, cuts off a dude's ear. His name was Malchus. We just pause a second. I don't know how good of a swordsman you are if you only clip an ear. Is that fair? I mean, Peter, you know, all action, no skill. It is generally. And the best part part about that story, Jesus is like, three-second rule, picks it up, dusts it off, and puts it back on the guy. That's the best part to me. Come on, Peter. Seriously? Just a little bit later, though. Three times. Peter's approach. Don't you, don't you know this guy? Aren't you with this guy? Don't you follow this guy? No, not me. No, 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 no. Wrong guy. No, no. I don't even know the man. Three times he denied Jesus. He betrayed Jesus. In chapter 21, we'll get there. It may be five years from now. I don't know. But in chapter 21, in chapter 21, three times Jesus comes to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter. Do you love me? Peter. Do you love me? Peter, the payment for sin is finished. Our the cost of our betrayal is finished. But not just the, the cost of that, but also just generally our disobedience as it is racked up debt. Because some of us think, well, I'm not a sinner like that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that's a real sin. I'm just like a sort of sinner, like a, like a JV sinner. That's what I am. I'm just JV and that. And so the scales for me haven't tipped very far. The problem is you don't measure the um, offense, the, the weight, if you will, of the offense is not measured by the person who did the offending, but by the one who was offended. And in this case, the God of the universe, the one who is in charge of all things, that is infinitely glorious and infinitely worthy of all of our praise, that's the one we've sinned against. So what we call little JV sins still tip the scales beyond anything that we could ever pay back. And so in steps Jesus, our Passover lamb, the debt of our disobedience is finished. And some of us have these moments where we don't even know that we've messed up but it's still a deficit. We pull the arrow back and we let it fly and we don't hit the target and all of a sudden our score is still not sufficient. Some of you think, no, 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 generally I'm pretty good. Yeah, you're not that good. Your score doesn't add up. And so the deficit of us missing the mark, it's painful. It is finished. It is done. When he comes along, Jesus, the Passover lamb, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he says it is finished, to tell us, what he's saying to you and to me is the payment for our sin is done. It is done. That's good news for you and for me. Secondly, verse 15. Again, pointers here. They cried out. Away with him. This is the religious leaders. Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Ruh-roh. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. First, payment for sin is done. Second, Our guilt before God is done. They had, in that moment, pledged allegiance to the wrong team. They had put the wrong jersey on. They had flown the wrong flag, however you want to say it. They were standing on the opposite side of this. And because of that, they were guilty. We have no king but Caesar. Oh, sorry about that, God. I forgot. Yeah. Guilty is where they are. They are guilty before the judge of the universe because of their confession and because of the posture and attitudes of their hearts. Listen, they're guilty before God. And guess what? Jesus came to say to you and to me, I'm dying on the cross, not only to pay for your sin, but so that your guilt before God would be finished. There's a legal standing that changes as a result. Not of me being so awesome but because Jesus has died in our place and for our sin. A legal standing has changed. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if I uh, uh, feel, you know, well, uh, hey, it's a Tuesday at uh, 9.30 in the morning. I think I'll just, yes, I'm feeling pretty good about this. It doesn't matter what our legal standing is. The judge of the universe has ruled. The gavel has fallen. And he looks over your life and he looks over my life. And this is what he says, not guilty. The guilt before God is finished. Now, let me just try to help us with this. Make some application. What what does that mean? Well, first of all, what that means is we cannot help him with it. If it's finished... We, you and me, we can't help him with it here. Just see if this sounds familiar to anybody. And if it doesn't, that's okay. Good for you. Uh, But, but some of us may may be like this. Um, Hey, Jesus, here I am. Father, I'm I'm coming to confess my sin again. And uh, I know that I blew it. And here are the five things that I'm going to do to try to make up for it. Like, I mean, it doesn't really have anything to do with restoring anything or helping with anything or whatever. It's just five things that I'm going to do because I feel really bad about this. Anybody? I'm going to like mow that lady's lawn and put a little extra money in the plate. And, uh, you know, I, 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 on Wednesday, I'm going to set my alarm for three o'clock to make sure. And I pray that day, like whatever it is, like, I, I know I messed up. So I, I'm going to try to do all that stuff to make it right. And listen, in that moment, you may think, you may think that it sounds humble. Oh God, I'm here. No, no. What you're doing is you're adding your works to the cross. You're saying to Jesus, you said it was finished, but it was like 99.4% finished. I got the other 0.6. Jesus, don't worry. You can't add anything to what he has done because it is finished. Your guilt before God is finished. He does not need your help with it. Secondly, we don't have to carry it. Some of you know what this feels like. Spiritually, emotionally, how it works itself out in your relationships. You take one of them Home Depot buckets, fill it up with concrete, let it dry, and you pick that bad boy up and you just walk around. This is your life. Walking around with all of the mistakes that you've made and the the things that you're just sure, you just know for sure that your penance, like your way to to get through life is just by toting this stuff around and feeling like, oh, well, this is just my thing. This is just what I have to do. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah, I can't really do the things that I actually need to do or I'm sure that God wants me to do because I need to carry this. I'm pretty sure that this is my life right now. And when Jesus comes along and he says it is finished, he's saying take those buckets and set them down. Set them down. You do not have to carry it. Some of you don't carry it. You're just shaped by it. Like you got all this stuff in the past and you just know that every time this comes up or that comes up or this thing happens or, or that thing kind of spins up, that your life just kind of goes this way. Because of the guilt that is in your, uh, uh, in your story, the way that it was told to you, the, the things that you had to carry, you do not have to live with it. That's the message. When Jesus comes along and he says, it is finished, what he is saying is, you do not have to live it, uh, with it anymore. You do not have to be shaped by it. It does not have to. Interject itself into your conversations, into your relationships, into your marriages, into the way that you parent. Some of you parent the the way that you do because you don't want your kids to screw up the way that you did. You're not aiming for anything except for, please don't be like me. Guilty, I mean like, come on. You do not have to carry it. You cannot help him with it. You do not have to live with it. He said, it is finished. Probably my, like one of my favorite, this may be my favorite, like two verses about this particular issue, Colossians chapter 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Can we just have a moment here? We'll just say, we were dead, Jesus made us alive. Amen to that, yeah? That's next week. Like, I mean, we're doing resurrection next week. Cross today, resurrection next week. But let's just, that is a a little thing to hold on to because it's coming. God made us alive together with him. How? Having, having forgiven us, how, how many? What's, what's that next word? All. Not most. Not some. Not the big ones, not the little ones. Not the stuff that you confess, the stuff that you remember, the things that um, you, you're pretty sure you got right. Not the stuff that you made up for. None of that kind of stuff. He has forgiven you all of your trespasses. The stuff that is in your past, the stuff that you are struggling with right now, the stuff that you will mess up tomorrow. He has forgiven all of your trespasses. How in the world could God do that? Well, he, here's what he did. He took, the record by, he took the record of debt and he canceled it. So just imagine all the places, all the ways, all the thoughts, all the attitudes, all the um, actions, um, all, all the intents that you have um, uh, ever had in your life. And God put them down on a piece of paper. Huh, what a terrifying thought. That record of debt... He says, he is canceled. How? By nailing it to the cross. He took that piece of paper with all of your sin laid out, and he stuck it on the cross. But it wasn't a piece of paper that he stuck on the cross. He was Jesus. Jesus became that record of debt for us. Peter says that he carried our sins in his body. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So as Jesus is on the cross dying, he's carrying our sins. He's bearing our sins. That's what's happening. And thankfully, when the broken body of Jesus came down, that list of sins did not. It's still there. It's canceled forever. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. One more just quick pastoral application here. If you if, the, if you don't experience this, that's perfectly fine. If you do, sometimes Satan, the enemy, will get up in my ear, your ear maybe, chirp a little bit. Hey, you remember that time? Hey, do you, uh, do you remember that one thing? Hey, remember that thought? Remember that time when you were in that interaction and you were like, you know, and you get like just in your ear hey, you remember that time? Hey, you remember that time? Hey, you remember that time? Here's what I want to give you. If that's a conversation you have on the regular, I invite you to say to him, oh, you want to talk about sin, let's talk about sin. Because my sin, according to Colossians 2, my sin has been nailed to the cross. And as we sing sometimes in an old hymn, and I bear it no more. He has borne it on my behalf. So if you want to talk about my sin, you've got to meet me, Satan, at the foot of the cross, because that's where my sin is. That's a pretty short conversation, by the way. Guilt before God is finished. Verse 17. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, and one on one side and one on the other, Jesus, between them. And I just point this out, that one of the things that Jesus uh, said is finished, is that the reign of pain in our world and in our lives, it is finished. It does not have the final say over our lives. Here in the Gospels, they, they didn't, we didn't have, uh, let me say it this way, like you and I may need a little bit more explanation. When they said in verse 1, Pilate took him away and flogged him. They knew exactly what that meant. If you're not sure, it is a uh, a whip with uh, um, like uh, stone and glass and other things embedded into the um, in, into the ends of it. And the Roman soldiers would just have a t- they would beat people and beat people and beat people and beat people with this whip. That's what it means to be flogged. The pain of that you, is excruciating and unbearable. And then crucifixion. Nails driven through hands, through feet, and they would just leave you out there. They didn't feed you. They didn't bring you anything. Nobody could get close to you. The, the um, Animals would come, any number of things, any number of terrible things that could be described there. They are not described in detail here because they knew what it was like. They passed by it on the regular. You and I, we may need a little bit of help, but just know that the pain that is there, described in such few words here, is very real. And part of what Jesus said is finished, is that the reign of that pain, it is finished. It does not have the final say over our lives. Because of sin's curse, our world is busted. Spiritually broken, physically broken, uh, relationally broken, emotionally broken, Ecologically broken, and we could just keep going. Every key relationship has been marred by, destroyed by, broken by sin. Instead of introducing life as it promised, it introduced chaos and death. But Jesus endures the pain in order to undo the curse. And that's why it doesn't have the final say. What we're saying here and holding on to this promise, you want to put your feet on hope, um, uh, something solid to hope in. You put your feet at the cross there because in that moment, what you will see is that Jesus took the pain that all of earth is experiencing, the whole thing is experiencing, so that one day there would be no more pain, there would be no more aches, there would be no more cancer. There wouldn't be, wouldn't be no more brokenness. I remember it was several years ago when our littlest one was in the hospital. She had a stroke. And it was the very first time I actually heard this, um, this phrase. The doctor came in. He was talking, doctor, 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 doctor stuff. And then he said this. Yeah, and this is the point of insult. I got to be honest, Doc, that doesn't sound very medical. Can you help me? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. The vessel broke... And the blood got into the the brain matter right there. And that's what we call an insult. That's actually the best word for it. There is brokenness and things have gone awry. And it it is an insult to the goodness of God and how he has designed things. How How he desires for things to work. It is an insult. But Jesus endures the cross and the pain there. In order to undo the curse. Keep going. Verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. These are all pointers, okay, pointers for us to understand what was finished. The pain, the rain, the final say of pain in our lives, it is finished. Uh, verse 19 now. He wrote on an inscription, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews who read this inscription uh, for the place Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. Pause, a little Bible trivia. Uh, Aramaic, the, the uh, uh uh, language of the area, right there, kind of like modified Hebrew. Um, Latin, the um, language of the empire, and Greek was the language of everything else. It was the common language that was out there. So we got the local language, the common language, and then the official language. Verse 21, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate said, and He answered, Well, I've written what I've written. What you need to know in that moment is that separation from God is finished. The three languages are there on purpose to make sure that people know you're invited in to the rule of God. You're invited in to the kingdom. When he says king of the Jews, he's not king of some people, he's king of all the people. Whatever language you need it in, he's got it. The nations are invited in to his kingdom and rule. In that moment, the separation from God. Like you and I, we do not know a single person who is so far gone. We just don't know a person who's so far gone that they are beyond the reach of God. They are beyond the invitation of God. God, through Jesus, is looking at you and me and saying, Hey, this can be done. The separation that distance. that that makes that distance between you and me, the brokenness and all the craziness that is your world. Like, I am willing to pursue. I am willing to come to you. I want you to know I am coming to you. I do not want this separation. The nations, the nations are invited into his kingdom, into his rule. There is not a kind of person out there in your life or mine. There is not a color of person out there in your life or mine or anywhere else that he's not invited. That is too far gone. they he's so separated that they'll never reconnect. That God could not reconnect with him. How do, how do you know this? The story is one of invitation. That's how we know. It's an invitation. A couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at this passage in, in John uh, chapter 6. That those who look on the Son are drawn to the Father. So we behold the Son. And when we behold the Son, we are drawn to the Father. The separation from God is finished. This is John chapter 6, verse 37. And uh, on down to verse 40 there. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not, I will never cast out. Can we just hold on to that? Again, you don't know anybody who's so far gone that Jesus can't save them. You just don't. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. This is what God's will is. This is what he desires. That when we put our eyes, our eyes of faith on the sun, when we look at Jesus and what he has done for us, we should have eternal life and anybody else who does too. Like what an invitation for you and I to champion the work of the cross of Jesus. To be the people who walk around and just like, man, let me tell you the best story that's ever been told. They should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is what he is inviting us to. There's a separation from God is done, and you and I get, can be a part of seeing other people who are separated from God come to him. Third, uh, whatever we're on, fourthly, fifthly, whatever the number is. Here we go. Verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, divided them into four parts, um, one part for each soldier. Also his tunic. The tunic was the uh, kind of undergarment that they wore close to the skin. Uh, The tunic was seamless, though, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it um, to see whose it shall be. this was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. So even in that moment right there, even in that moment. God is fulfilling His Word. He is faithful to His promises. Let me ask you a question, though. If the soldiers took His clothes and divided them into four and then um, threw dice for the, the, the undergarment, what does that leave Jesus with? Say it out loud. Nothing. The Son of God, the Lord of all the universe, the One who is full of glory, who left heaven to come to earth, dies naked exposed shamed and when he says it is finished he's saying shame is finished he was willing to carry it so that you and i um, don't have to he was stripped he was put on display just outside of the city there shame is finished um, if you kind of wonder what shame is and, and kind of how it presents itself, let's talk about it for just a second because I don't want to skip past this. Um, shame is the fear of disconnection. If any of you are familiar with the uh, work of Brene Brown, you read it with New Testament eyes, it is powerful. And, and this is her definition, the fear of disconnection. I think that if I say this, if I open myself to this, if I um, uh, offer this, if I actually live real before you, that somehow, some way you're going to go, whoa, 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 no, 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 uh-uh, thanks. Things, a fear of disconnection. of What happens with sin is that it makes us hide. It makes us seek shelter. It makes us um, seek covering. This has been the, um, uh, the, the reality from the get-go. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they sin against God. What's the first thing they do? They go hide. Second thing they do, they make coverings for themselves. And for some of us, man, the, the reality of shame in our lives, this is what it looks like slinking back, right? But for others, it can express itself as controlling. I messed up, therefore I'm going to control what I can. For others, it can express itself as numbing. Like, I'm pretty sure one more glass will fix it. At least make me not feel it. It can express itself as perfecting. Hey, I messed up. I'm going to make you sure that you do not. It can express itself as blaming. I'm pretty sure this is everybody else's fault. I'm feeling it, but it's everybody else's fault. We use those strategies to hide, to seek shelter, to find um, covering. At its core, the feeling is, I am not worthy of love or belonging. I'm just not. And what I want to say to you and to me Some of us feel that very, very deeply. And I want you to know, please hear me today, that the the price that Jesus paid was the price that he wanted to pay in order so that you know, so that you really experience and know just how valued you are to him. Some people think, oh, no, no, Jesus, like you paid way too high a price for me. He paid exactly what he needed to pay in order to bring you to God. It was his joy. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, he endured the cross and despised its shame. Why? For joy. For joy. It was his joy to, to give his life and see the fruit of all of that so that your shame would be destroyed. You do not have to live with it. Why would he do all of that? Last thing, verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, those four ladies. When Jesus saw his mother, his disciple, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to his disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Here's the, did anybody ever have this moment? Things aren't going well for you. And you think to yourself, I'm obviously on the wrong side of God's love here. Like, man, I don't know what I did, but I'm pretty sure like he just turned the spigot off of love and I'm going dry right now. When Jesus said it is finished, part of what was finished was the question about God's love. If you and I think because of our circumstances, if you and I think because of our situation, uh, because of our uh, capacities, because of our abilities, uh, because of our uh, uh, any, uh, anything else that we're seeing happening in our lives, I mean, his mom was standing there watching her son die. Oh God, what are you doing? And the answer is, he's demonstrating his love. The love, the love that he... If you come to the cross, you do not leave unloved. It is not disconnected from what we, you and I call real life. He's making sure that his mom gets taken care of. Hey, you need to take care of her. Take care of her. Okay. But more, more than that, more than that, it is so much bigger than what we call real life. Because it is transformative, it is making us into people that will live forever, who experience not just bias, not just the existence version of life, not just the functioning version of life, but who have a life, a Zoe kind of life that's stained with, marked by, determined by, and, and full of eternity. That's what he's inviting us to. The question of God's love is done. It is not disconnected from our normal lives. That's true. But it is also so much bigger than our regular lives. Your feelings, your circumstances, your desires, your capacities, all of that may change. God's love does not change. The question of whether or not God really loves you is over. It is finished. It is answered at the cross. Last verse. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look at this. God shows his love. Shows, that's present tense. Like right now, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You weren't around a couple of thousand years ago. You weren't. Before you could do anything good to earn his love, Jesus died for you. Before you could do anything bad, to make sure that you got dq early from his love, he died for you. The question of God's love is finished because at the cross, Jesus demonstrated that love one time for all time, but so that you and I could experience it today. The one who looks at the son, he's the one who is drawn to the father. He shows right now his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. best thing we can do is cherish that. Like take, in the words of the hymn, cherish the old rugged cross. Why? Because there is power there. It is finished. Our, 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 the, the final say of pain in our lives, it is done. Like that is finished. The guilt that we have before God and the payment for sin that we sometimes try to make up for, it is done. The shame that we all carry around, it is done. The question of God's love, it is done. It is finished. So we cherish that old rugged cross. We champion the cause of the cross. And when we come to communion, we get the opportunity to do both. We get to take it in and remember what God has done. And we get to pass these plates to one another to remind one another, this is what Jesus has done for you. So I'm going to offer us a prayer for us. Offer a prayer for us. Um, And we'll celebrate communion. If you need to uh, uh, just kind of fold up your stuff, set it to the side, that's fine. Um, I always forget to say this, so let me say it while it's fresh on my mind. If you need a gluten-free option, there's some in the back, uh, back there. Let's take a moment and pray together. And deacons, if you're going to be serving today, would you go ahead and make your way forward? On the night that Jesus was uh, betrayed, right before all of that crazy stuff happened, he had his followers in a room and he took bread and he broke it. This is my body, which is broken for you. The wholeness that you and I are promised is made available because of the brokenness of Jesus. He took a cup. This is my blood, which is shed for you. It is the, the, way, the, the way that I am establishing the new covenant. No longer do we have to relate to God. On what we can do, but on what he has done for us. So anybody who's a follower of Jesus is welcome to participate with us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this would be fresh. I pray that this would be the the way that we are memorializing what you have done for us, when we saw it in baptism a few moments ago, like all of that kind of stuff, I pray, Father, that this will be real in some powerful, powerful ways for people. They would know that when we take this, we are celebrating the fact that it is finished. So Holy Spirit, settle yourself down on it. Use the word to bring us to that place. May we worship all the way through. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.